Welcome to Rethink, the financial advisor podcast. My name is Adam Holtz. And this is Derek Notman. We are your hosts, both veteran advisors and fintech CEOs who challenge the status quo, question everything, and have fun doing it. Hear honest commentary on the challenges facing advisors today. And be part of a community where we can all rethink the profession. Now on to our episode. Derek, can you run a successful practice entirely virtually? Hey, Adam. Love the question. This is right up my alley. Short answer? Yes. Okay. Period. That was the shortest podcast ever. Done. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Everybody, guys. thank you. We appreciate your attendance. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> There's got to be more to that, right? Yes. I mean, we've had so many questions about the future of this, how we got into this, how you got into virtual and remote pre-pandemic. We have to unpack this for people. Yeah. Well, obviously it's top of mind given the last 18 months. And I think there's two key words here, six or two key phrases, successful practice and virtual. Because hmm. there is a difference there. But I, I think let's let's give the audience a little bit backstory of our journeys. And I believe actually you beat me to this party and you went virtual before I did. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about like what what motivated you, inspired you, what was the the defining moment or idea, hmm. or was it just a blur that said, Okay, I have a pretty awesome office, brick and mortar office, but I, I things are changing. Yeah. So it's true. I mean, so my firm in Philadelphia still has its offices today. We have a hundred percent of our offices. They are 50% to capacity, right? Nobody's coming into those offices. I'm not sure that that made sense anyway, uh, because both of my mentors and partners are golfing four or five days a week. Anyway, they're never in the office. (laughs) I feel like they've been virtual for 20 years in a sense. But you know what was interesting for me? So I, I started it like most people moving after the high net worth uh, clientele even 15 years ago, because that's where the business was. Those were the people that wanted advice, maybe even paid for it, appreciated it and thought holistically because they were dealing with legal tax insurance questions and investment. It wasn't just about, can you manage my money? They were care- they cared about bigger planning things. So that was a, was a sweet spot for me. But what was consistent for them, those clients is that they were never available. They did not want to come into my office. I did not want to go into their environment where I was a distraction. They were like literally trying to do 10 things that you travel up to New York City, if that's where we were going, and they give you 15 minutes of attention. Half the time they're late. It was just impossible. So we noticed that a lot of executives were, were running meetings, especially the pharmaceutical side. They were running a lot of meetings using remote screen sharing for years because the, the, pharmacists and the product managers, these people were all over the world and they couldn't necessarily meet with them in a physical location. So they were used to this. And once I got introduced to GoToMeeting probably 15 years ago, I was hooked. And I had, I think the real driver is something that you talk about a lot, which is lifestyle should drive your practice versus practice dictating your lifestyle. Yes. And I had decided even in my mid thirties, one of my bigger goals, as we talked about vision boarding, my, my auditory goal was I wanted to be 35, make a certain amount of income and work 20 hours a week. I don't know why that goal, but that seemed like an appealing goal to me. And I worked towards that. And once I achieved it, I was, you know, bored. (laughs) That's what I was. I don't know what I could do with myself. I'm a worker, not a golfer. I started actually really tinkering with technology. That's kind of the roots of asset map. But, but I think the answer to your question was 
I just found such efficiency by telling people, because I was always screen sharing. I, I don't know if you know this, but I invested in a smart board about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm, I got mm-hmm. one off the back of a truck, but my buddy said, I'm taking these things to a school, they have one more than they bought. Hey, I'll sell it to you. I'm like, okay, I'll buy it. This is like true Philly style. I'm going to buy this thing it. off the back of the truck. It was a smart board. <laughs> I didn't know how it worked. And it was six foot touchscreen, basically 15 years ago, Te- technology wise, that was like having the weather studio in my office. Amazing. And it was really cool. And it was actually, we would draw people's lives up on their lives. So I knew that the screen interactivity really worked well and I was comfortable with it. And it's something we're going to address in this podcast because comfortable being comfortable with the technology is really critical delivering an awesome experience when you can't have the human face-to-face fallback. So the reason the, the, the short answer that made that I made a long answer is I did it because it was efficient. My customers were just literally not interested in coming physically to my office. And I said, listen, let's just do screen sharing during your lunch meeting. I need 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So I had to compress everything and it became a standard. That's just the way we did it. And and we still have clients to this day that we've never physically met across the country. That's brilliant. I love it. And likewise, I I have the same. So would you say if there was one like linchpin there, Adam, was that the consumer basically drove your decision? Like you were already like you, you enjoyed tech and of course, as a business owner, you want to be efficient, but would you say like... The, the main thing that pushed you was the consumer? Like, hey, like, I just don't have the time, Adam. Make this easier for me. Otherwise, it just isn't going to work. I think that was a big one. But make it, making it easy, getting in the calendar, doing remote so nobody had to travel. It saved me an enormous amount of time. And I got addicted mm-hmm. to that. I literally worked nine to five. I, was, I left the office at five. It doesn't matter. Which means a lot of people who work all day, they can't meet you after hours if you're not available. Exactly. So a lot of financial advisors start doing the the evening meetings, right? The the five to seven uh, PM meetings. Yes. Remember those? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Remember, you go where the client is available, right? And so I I was I said, Yeah, I can meet you two, three, four, five. You have to separate yourself, but you don't have to physically come here. So just set aside yeah. thirty minutes. You go to the dentist during the day, you don't go at night, do you? Does the dentist meet you in the middle of the night? Exactly, no, right? it's like two o'clock on a Friday. Like, okay, that's when my, <laughs> that's what I did. I love it. I love it. How about yourself? I mean, you, you, you got this bug earlier than most. Uh, I did. And it, so mine was not driven from a consumer demand, which is funny, which is actually really cool is that you and I arrived at the same place, but for different reasons, which I think is actually something I hope our, our listeners really pay attention to is that like, it's, it's not just one or the other. There's lots of ways we can take this journey. But for me, I had my, my office, my brick and mortar office in Vermont. Like I literally bought a building on the main street in the city I lived in. We were there, staff, everybody, client meetings and whatnot. But then I had an opportunity to move to, the, to Wisconsin for a business opportunity. That's a whole nother story because it miserably failed. But I was forced to, initially, I was flying back and forth. So I could go see my brick and mortar clients. I had a one-year-old at home, and it was awful. I was gone a lot. It was really tiring flying these small tin can planes. Just, it really started to wear on me. So for me, it was more of a life-work balance. Like, I'm like, I got to find a better way to run this business. Otherwise, it's going to run me six feet under. And that's what started me on that journey. And it's a long journey, but you know, long story short, I figured out how to do all this stuff virtually. And my biggest fear, which I think a lot of advisors have or had, is that the clients won't respond well to it and that they'll disappear. 
boy, was I wrong. I was mortified that, that they would just all leave and be like, just like I'd be out of business. I had one client leave and I went virtual in 2013. It's been that long. I had one wow. client leave because of it. So it, it was all in my head. And as you said, I mean, it's just efficiencies. People want more time. They want to be able to do things. And if we're talking about what it's in for, for the advisor or the client, it's like we get our time back. We get, we get to be more efficient. We can save money. Like there's all of these benefits. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy that it's taken a pandemic on a global scale to kind of get us to rethink this as an industry. Like, hey, maybe there's something to this thing that some of these people on the fringe have been doing for years. Yeah. Well, it, it is true. I mean, we did see some major companies move to creating accessibility for their reps if they're part of affiliation with a broker dealer. Otherwise, I would say within the last five years, we saw Join Me pop up institutionally. Zoom didn't really get a bigger hold until I think the past couple of years. Although yeah. it's so easy, I think it was pretty much uh, poo-pooed because it was like too simple. It must have looked, didn't seem professional, but I think that's what the really consumer really said they needed. They needed to be able to just turn it on. Simple, One of the bigger basic. challenges we had in the early phases is like, great, download this plugin, tell Beatrice, the 82-year-old <laughs> lady in Florida, to go right. and download the plugin so they could run the virtual meeting. You're wasting And she's the trying to plug the minutes. computer in, right? Yeah. She's like, what do you mean to plug my computer in? It's already plugged in. What do you mean you can see me? Wait, you can see me? My hair's not ready. What? I'm not ready for that. You can... What is this on? Is this thing on? Right? Forget whether you're on mute or not. This is like working. And what's interesting about this, there definitely were some technology trends that that took the fear out of that for a lot of people. Remember, many people were already FaceTiming their grandkids or Skyping, right? So they were over the last five to 10 years, the boomer population, I think we were really concerned about really adopting this stuff. They were getting acclimated to it just, just a different way. So we had to find a platform. I think it's really interesting to see how ubiquitous Zoom and some of these other platforms have become. Mm-hmm. as literally a verb because they are easy to use. And it's basically, it sends a really important message to advisors, which is you, ne- you need to make it easy. Now, I agree with you that there's a lot of benefits to the, to the advisor, right? When you ask the question, well, what's in it for me? You said time. You said oh there's gosh. clearly costs you don't have, travel costs. Yep. You said life balance. Work-life balance is much different, right? We having a lot of people. My employees, by the way, don't want to come back to the office physically. All the 25 people that are basically remote for the last 18 months, they're saying, we figured out how to make it work. And by the way, when we check out at night, we walk into our living room and we're with our family. Right. That's it. That as much as we are, I mean, let's face it, America, especially here, we're a capitalist society, right? I mean, we're work, 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 work. But I think deep down, most of us have this yearning to have more time with our family and pursuing our hobbies and having this balance that we talk about. And I know that's a little hokey, right? We're talking, we're kind of getting into the touchy-feely stuff here. I'm sorry, guys. Pinch yourself. But it's true. And I think that's there. And I, I, this is a way we can tap into that, but still be efficient at work. And I, I love, I've used this analogy with other advisors. Think about it. Well, what if you're in the car only one hour a day, five days a week? 50 weeks a year. Let's say you take two weeks off, right? That's what we do in America. We work the rest. Have you added those hours up, Adam? How many hours that is? And it's 250 hours a year that you're sitting in the car. And let's face it, most financial advisors drive a lot more than that. Well, think about it this way. If you you use a standard 40-hour work week, that's 6.25, almost 40-hour work weeks a year. You were in a car 
maybe listening to our podcast will tell. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but like, I get it not, again and again. <laughs> yeah, I get it again. <laughs> Just repeating over. it because it's my 30 minutes. <laughs> but like, that's crazy. If, if, if someone were to say, hey, you need to spend six weeks a year in your car as part of this job or eight weeks or whatever, you'd be like, no, that's crazy. That's mm-hmm. time away from my family. I'm not making money driving. It's costing me and I'm getting stressed. Like, yeah. put it in that light. You're like, oh my gosh. Oh, well, by the way, you're also risking the parent of your children. I mean, yeah. think about it that way. Like, think about the risk that you take when traveling. I mean, we're just so used to it, but you're in the road every day. I know people have gotten into car accidents. Of like, course. don't you? Maybe oh, yeah. Even personally, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It, it is not our fault, by the way. But the but <laughs> there's there's a real there's a not only the hard costs you mentioned, but there's a lot of soft costs here. It's interesting for me. I moved myself and my family into the city so that I could walk to work, walk my kid to school, and not waste any time in the commute. Now, the truth is, for me, I have a hard time working from home. I've always had to have an office because I need to physically separate myself. Otherwise, I will live in the refrigerator every five minutes looking for something new to eat. I have, I have or, no control. Or cleaning your kitchen. You like to clean. Or cleaning. Kitchen. You're right. I love cleaning my kitchen. <laughs> and somehow someone is always messing up my kitchen. These family members, they think they're on my team and they're just making work for me. I think this is like their job. I love cleaning the kitchen for some reason. No, I don't love the, excuse me. No, but you do it. I love a clean uh, kitchen. Okay. Yeah. And therefore oh. I must solve the problem myself. Maybe that's a future episode. Rethinking what a clean kitchen is. Yeah, maybe it's true. How to <laughs> remove neurosis from your life. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. Sorry. I like a clean kitchen because I like to start cl- cooking anyway. But the, the funny thing about, about this is we also, it, it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't think also why we should support the brick side of it, right? What's the, we, we obviously clearly have a bias towards the virtual, mm-hmm. but now why have the brick? What's, what's the benefit? What's in it for the client, for the brick side, having a physical location, maybe what's in it for the staff, what's in it for us as advisors? Yeah, I think there are some benefits there. And, and I think that's, it's going to be per advisor. Like a, this is a sliding scale. It's not an all or nothing Right. And that, that's what's beautiful about it is, is you can customize it based upon your personality and your wants. But at the end of the day, I think we're moving to this more hybrid model. And that's driven mainly, I would argue, by the consumer, partially by about like who you are as an advisor and your staff as well. But there's credibility that comes with a, a physical footprint. Mm. But maybe that physical footprint's a, a fourth of what it used to be because you don't need right. to have such a big space anymore. Right. You have community amongst your team. That's something that's important to you. If you want to be like really like Main Street USA and and be part of that community, there's some value there too. So I, I think there are some benefits there, but it, it's going to have to be that 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 sweet spot combination. I mean, there's so much data coming out now about how people just would rather work. As you said, like I can turn my computer off and walk into the next room and be with my family now. Yeah, I, I don't have to drive across Philly to go see you in your office today. Cause I just don't feel like it, but I still want to meet with you. Right. So there are all right. these benefits. I don't know. What I, do you think? I, it's interesting because when I think about the going remote, I'll tell you that our client meetings, 95% of our client meetings in the last five years at the firm level, granted, I'm no longer the managing partner of the firm, but that still happens today. 95% of them are virtual. They don't, that was before wow. the pandemic. That's awesome. Um, in the last 10 years, we did this study, 70% in 10 years were remote. We ran them from our office. So we had our infrastructure and our cameras and we had our setup. So we could, f- and we had found that physically for us as advisors, 
we really like the idea of putting on our suit or dress shirt, going physically to work and then leaving physically work. Even if we were doing remote meetings the whole time, that was, that worked for us really well. And for the clients that wanted to actually feel like they were being hosted, like come to my place, sit down with me, have a coffee and let's talk. That having that physical location wound up actually, I think, lifting our overall preeminence. It gave us the legitimacy that you mentioned as a legitimate organization, not just some person on the end of a phone. I could be in India. You don't even know nothing from what I'm doing, right? Like it could be on the beach with a backdrop. I mean, there is a, a, I think, a sense of professionalism that I think a certain generation expects. And that generation tends to have a lot of the money right now. And so if you're an asset manager or you're in the wealth management side, big surprise if your clients are going to be boomers. I don't know that that... I think the big question for most of you listening is, at what phase are you in your, in your we'll call, practice? And is the credibility there enough where you can disconnect from the physical location? We do know that clients have moved at record pace, right? Clients are either snowboarding or they're going to their dream worlds or they're downsizing. They're mm-hmm. going to cheaper environments for lifestyle or cost of living. So they're moving, okay? And they will be moving, just so you know. So yeah. you need to be able to promote remote. That's a nice rhyme, as promote remote. Promote like remote. <laughs> By the way, is, that's a good question. Is you've We've used this term interchangeably. We say virtual meetings and remote meetings. What, which one is it? I got. What's the right one? interchangeable i think it really is they're interchangeable it's just i don't know tomato tomato right you know can we rethink that word please i really it drives me crazy virtual meeting i'm like it's no it's a real meeting i'm here you're there we're just remote okay that's what i so i i'm i think the word is it's a remote interaction (laughs) it's a remote delivery it's a remote Uh, delivery it's a virtual delivery yeah that's right. right. It's, it's, what do you mean? It's, it's virtual delivery. It's not virtual delivery. It's like real delivery of advice. You can virtually pay me. I mean, I want you to reality pay me. You can remotely pay me my Venmo. Sorry, I get stuck on the words. It's part of my no, no. It's habit. yeah, your your neurosis. Um, <laughs> That's great. So let's let's kind of talk yeah. about this. So this thank that was a good history. I think you guys understand. Everybody understands where we're coming from. Let's rethink this for the next five minutes before we talk about actions and what you can actually do to invest in your practice, what you need to, what you need to ex- execute or decide upon, because that's going to be important. Where is it going, right? You've done a lot. You've been speaking a lot about this. I've been following this and certainly have great reading articles on this through Connector and your organizations there. What, where is this going to go? Like um, paint a future for us in the next three, four years. What is advice going to look like? It's well, as you put it, it's remote. Okay. So thank you. <laughs> I like how you've coined this. You've kind of, like, maybe you coined this term. I don't know, but the delivery of advice and that that's what it is. So I, I think we have this, this shift. Well, th- no, this shift has been going on for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. We've been in a mega trend for over 20 years. If you don't know what a mega trend is, Google it. Okay. It's very interesting, but we've been in it for 20 years and there's been this massive shift the pandemic brought it to the forefront and actually it just really brought the financial advice, insurance, investment industry into or up to speed with where everyone else already was. But it's a pendulum. Think of it that way. And I think the pandemic pushed us all to this remote virtual environment almost entirely. But remember, we're human beings and we connect with other human beings. So I think there will be this swing back a little bit where it'll settle 
in the next couple of years, I really do think hybrid will be the sweet spot. People want to work with humans, but they don't want to be stuck driving across town. They don't want to have to cut their vacation short because they got to meet with their insurance person or whatever. So it's this delivery, this new medium to conduct business is really the sweet spot, at least in my crystal ball. I think that's where it's going to be. And for those that are listening, like you have a choice. Like it's pretty clear what the consumer wants. The technology has evolved. Like it's there. The expectation, the comfortability, whatever you want to call it is all there. So now either we meet clients where they want us to be, or they will find someone who is. Mm, There you have it. That's it. See, that's where I tend to think about it. I've already decided for myself because we did a pre-pandemic that this is the future. And and every firm I've talked to or guided or spoken to, I have been pushing them to move this way forever. Okay, fine. It's not just me saying it's not just you saying it. Okay, we're here. Now what? What is this going to mean for new things to defend against, opportunities to exploit? I would say game theory this out with me. If everyone moves remote, what does that mean for competition for advisors? Well, one, I don't think we're we're actually really in competition. I think there's there's enough business for all of us out there. I mean, just do this this the sheer math on the population of the of the United States, 18 and above, that could be potential clients, and then how many advisors there are. There's enough business for all of us. So now it becomes not so much about competition. We are on a, a level playing field. We're on this digital playing field. But are you playing the game or are you sitting on the sidelines or are you still on the old brick and mortar playing field completely? And maybe you need to have a feed on both fields. Hmm. That's that's how I see it, Adam. I, I, I think that that's, and you and I made those decisions a long time ago, but either you embrace it and you run with it and just have people coming to you or, or you don't. It's, oh, this this whole internet thing, I don't, I'm not so sure about it. Maybe it's not going to stick. I think we're going back to fax machines here. Is that what you said to yourself back in 2000 when the internet.com <laughs> or that's <laughs> yeah, like, today's statement? <laughs> uh, both, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this internet thing's just a fad. It's going to go away. Someone asked, actually, they, 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 they called and they said, what's your fax number? I said, well, what, what time zone are you in? I mean, what do you mean? What time zone? Are you in? Well, what, what are you in this decade or the last I decade? Yeah, because right the, I don't have a fax machine, but I think, you know, what's interesting. I, I, I want to push everybody to even think further than that. So here's what I mean by it. If everybody's remote and physical presence doesn't matter, well, two things happen. Number one, financial advisors can now actually expand their market. So the market does expand. Number two, it creates fantastic accessibility, as you said, for those who want advice to now get it because may there may not be the ideal advisor physically located next to them, which was a precursor in the past because you had to physically go to your advisor, right? If you didn't uh-huh. feel comfortable with the people you knew in your network, like I can't talk to my dad's advisor or every advisor I know is a, this kind of salesperson or, you know, the people have these preconceived notions. Now, all of a sudden they can actually go shop for advisors that could be located all over the planet, right? Not, we're not talking about in my state and licensed. We're talking about <laughs> advisors anywhere. that could serve you anywhere, which creates a very interesting competition for cost and service delivery and client experience. I think a lot of advisors have gotten by on physical proximity, relationship, and history. And they're going to start competing with service delivery and price. 
and accessibility. And if we're not thoughtful enough as advisors or how we make it easy to do business with us, with these technologies tools, it's not just enough for me to deliver my same old 80 page financial plan now over the internet. This is not going to cut it guys. You, you must maximize the expectations that consumers are having now for speed interactivity, engagement. And I would say that the next skill that we need to work on, the soft skill that we need to work on as financial professionals is production value. Think about that. If every meeting is going to move or a preponderance of meetings is moving either to a screen on my wall, because I'm actually still brick and mortar, or I'm sharing my screen and we got little Uh pictures of us, you and me on the corners there, and I've got a screen I'm trying... It is literally like watching a reality television show that's got me as the storyline, okay? And my financial life is the storyline, and you and I are character actors in this reality television show, and the production value of it better be good, because if it's kind of garbagey, I'm judging it against all the other video I'm watching all day long, a subconscious level. And now people think like, Adam, you're crazy. You don't have to produce the way Netflix does, really? If you're not really, if you're, if you're not maximizing audio quality, visual quality, ease of getting onto this meeting with you, you might as well basically have me say, okay, you know what? Listen, meet me in this back alley room. I found a room that's available. Let's have a meeting there. And there's like no lighting and like uh, junky walls. Like, well, you wouldn't do that in physical world. Why would you do that in digital world? So you have to think about the production value of this experience because who's setting the stage? The people that are creating all the content people are watching, Netflix, Disney, Amazon Prime, yeah, right? Yeah. Their stuff is is awesome, clean, beautiful, thoughtful, has my name on it, got a picture that represents me. You have to think like this now. Can you imagine this? I'm telling you in the next three years, we're going to have to think like this or sooner. You're, you, it's this massive personalization yeah. that, that, that is happening. Why is it happening? Because people love it. People want it. They do. Look at all the different streaming services. Like I had some friends over this weekend. We were joking about how like our streaming bill every month is like four hundred thousand dollars. You know, like because I've got four hundred wow. different. Yeah, I've got all these different thousand dollars. You need an advisor, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> four hundred thousand. No, you have too much time on your hand. Go back to driving to your meetings. I'm thinking about like I have choices now, and if I don't like this streaming service, I'm just going to stop it. I'm going to go to one that I do like because it's personalized, and I'm getting what I want, and I get it now. And yeah, well, but that's a perfect example. We're seeing clients cheat on their advisors all the time. Now, you yeah. might be thinking, "No, my clients don't cheat on me." Yeah, right. Your clients use you for the money and the legacy they've had with you forever, and you provide a service once a year, and then they're on mint and personal capital with money that you don't even know about basically because they wanted to get some technology deliver of accessibility when they wanted it and they didn't think you were available. That is what's happening. I'm finding again and again, when I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I have three or four advisors. Do they know about each other? No. Mm-hmm. Are they getting the best advice? Well, who knows? Because the client is basically hoarding because they think they can get some other experience. They have a Coinbase account. Now they have a crypto account. Now they have like a currency account. Now they have like some bonds they bought direct from their cousin. And they, they bought a private equity deal because their brother mm-hmm. was involved. Like, I, there's all this stuff that's not getting to the financial advisor. And it's because the advisor is not as engaging as all these great marketing tools and ease of doing business. Well, it's if been gamified, were. right? People yeah. love the personalized gamified nature of it. And they, they don't want that 80 page financial plan. Whether no, it's that's a not going to happen. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
So let's be good. So we, we promised you that we would give you some takeaways, everybody. So I, we have a couple here. So Derek, what's, what, are, what are some takeaways that financial professionals, advisors can use to, let's say, either prepare themselves or to address this for themselves? Right. So we, we mentioned about uh, this digital playing field. Advisors must invest in their digital presence. Mm. What, what is that? Have an awesome website. Have great social media presence. Use automation for marketing, like an email and things of that nature. Even if you just do these couple things and do them really well, if you don't have a digital presence, it means you don't have a digital storefront, or maybe your digital storefront just looks terrible. And then we don't go into it. Like the only reason you bought that thing out of the guy's truck was because it was your friend, right? But yeah. you know, how many people want to go to that truck down the alley and buy something? I, I don't. You wouldn't well, even know about it, right? Well, that's it. you wouldn't even know about it, right? You know, I, I use this all the line, this line all the time, but you may have the best cheeseburger in town, but if the if the front of your store looks awful or you don't have a store, then people aren't gonna know about it. Or marketing, right? If nobody knows about it, there's that is exactly it's just a, it. marketing is just awareness, right? Creating awareness. awareness. You have to have it out there. So invest in those things. Don't don't just be do them in five minutes and be done. Do them well. Define who your ideal client is. We've talked a little bit about this before, but your ideal client will help you drive your digital presence. Once you know who you're talking to, then you can create a brand and messaging and everything around that. It really does drive all of it. I mean, take a step back and get super clear on who your ideal client is. Don't minimize this. This is not a five-minute back-of-the-napkin conversation, mind process thing here. You you actually got to spend some time on this. And then, as you alluded to earlier, get comfortable with, well, we we must call them remote meetings now. My my friend here is very particular. I'd say virtual (laughs) for all those disagreeers. Yeah, whatever. But it's, again... It's you, you mentioned as a client experience. And if you're in virtual meeting, the audio is terrible. There's bad lighting. Like you're looking at someone's couch behind them with like dirty laundry on it, you know, or whatever. That just feels awful. And if that feels awful subconsciously, even like they're, th- they're wondering like, is this person's advice actually going to be any good? Like, do I really want to put my money with this person? Yeah, so those are the three things that, that I would, I would And the part of that virtual meetings thing would be great infrastructure. Like yeah, computer, got like, it. All that stuff. All right. So I heard investing in digital presence, digital reputation, which we've talked about on prior podcasts too, right? So making yep. sure people find you. Number two, you said, who's your ideal client? And also, I think that makes sense for thinking about maybe my ideal client wants to work virtually and doesn't want to work physically, right? So clearly, if you're, it's going to push yes. you one way to invest, you might say, I don't work with anybody physically. So sorry, it's not a good fit. You know that up front. Don't take the business and Exactly. Then try to meet at Starbucks. Okay. That's just not going to work long term. And then you said the infrastructure. I actually agree with you. There's two things that came up for me when I thought about this. Customer journey is really important and it makes sense to manage it down. If you're going to do it in your office, we have a, an advisor who uses Asimaf. He always tells me he has everybody's, he knows every one of his clients' preference for drink and food and he has it there for their meeting whenever they show up so that they're coming almost to like his home and he's serving them the hors d'oeuvres and the drink specifically that they like. Even if it's alcoholic, by the way, right? Uh, he, he literally, you go there for an experience. Well, I think that's, we need to do, that's what I meant by production value. I actually hired a coach when I went to virtual meetings to a production person from, from television production. I said, 
coach me on how I deliver ver- this video meeting. Cause I want it to look like an anchor on NBC That's awesome. Um, and get my, get my lighting, right. Get it, get the space, right. Get the angles. Like, I don't want to have my head. And I really, I literally made my clean kitchen. Okay. I made it very, <laughs> like I knew that experience when I was walking in and it is predictable and it's deliverable and it's yeah. top notch. And I don't have to think about it because I I'd coached on it. I didn't know all the answers. I asked for help. The second thing I think is Ask your clients and your staff what they prefer if you're really thinking about going virtual, right? Get the feedback from the clients. I think you'll find that there's a lot of support, but you won't know that for sure until you set forth a standard. Here's the way that I do it. I tend to tell... My example is I tend to meet my newest clients when I did this more in person, face-to-face. But And I told them in the very early phases... We have found it much more efficient for us to have remote meetings. We'll do them two, three, four times a year, as opposed to once a year, this one huge meeting. We'll use remote, et cetera, et cetera. Every probably two years or three years, we'll physically get back together, have a big family planning meeting. You're going to bring your kids and your parents. And that's the time to really focus on relationship, right? It's when I'm thinking multi-generationally. I save those in-person meetings for meetings where we really like, we're going to order lunch and we're going to have a working meeting. Everybody's going to get acclimated and get to know each other. Why? Because I want that next generation's business. And they're going to remember, hey, you remember going to Adam's office? It's not totally. just... So I use that as a leverage point. A special moment is when you physically get together. But we're going to include some serious people because we're going to put effort into it. It's like a party. So I, I think that those are those are my two takeaways. I Hopefully, some of that stuff is really valuable to you. you know, is As the theme of this program we've put together... At Rethink is we've always asked our community to contribute. And we had some really awesome contributions recently where advisors and professionals reached out. Derek, this one, why don't you share what came to you over LinkedIn from Joe? Yeah, this is an awesome question from Joe that I received recently, actually. I'll just read it verbatim for everybody here. Hi, usually I don't connect with people I haven't met, but I heard you on the Kitsis podcast, so I feel we are pals, smiley face. Nice. My wife, yeah, I love it, I love it. Yeah, that's, that's good, it's character right there. By the way, that's actually a little tip, folks. Add personality into what you're writing. Anyways, my wife and I are having many of those same late-night conversations you were probably having in 2013. As I sit here today, I miss seeing my clients and coworkers. I can do the work remotely, and most of my clients know that I'm out of the state and don't appear to care. I find myself literally missing being with them since they were friends in addition to clients and coworkers. Did you find this to be a struggle for you in the early years? How did you get over this? I'm also not sure if this is a post-COVID hangover or just missing all the people, or if this is the same experience you went through at the time. Perspective. Really heartfelt, wonderful question. It's probably top of mind for a lot of you, both from a uh, virtual remote perspective, but also just missing people in general. So I would say it's probably more of a post-COVID hangover. Personally, that's how I feel about it, Adam. I'd be keen to get your, your feedback on this, but is it a struggle to not see all your clients in person? I, I think maybe, but for me, my clients were always clients more than they were friends. Now, did some of the, my mm. clients turn into friendships? Of course they did. I, I've been to client weddings and whatnot, but we always knew that there was a business relationship there first. And for me personally, my whole life, I've always thrived on personal connections with my family and my friends. And that's where I want to spend my time away from work. Hmm. So when we're stuck in our houses for 18 months or whatever, because of lockdown, like, yeah, I think we're all going to be just jonesing to get out and see people again and be with our friends and whatnot. But I, I think the client piece, I, 
I don't know. I think this might be more of a post-COVID hangover, as he puts it here. How did I get over like just that struggle of, of making the transition? What goes back to the infrastructure and your points about production value and just making sure that things are really good so I can still have really meaningful conversations with people that I haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. And for those of you listening, Adam and I have known each other for about only a year now. Mm-hmm. We've never met in person, Adam. No. But we are able to see each other. We've had wonderful conversations. We joke around. We mess around. Like yeah. it's it's good stuff. So it's amazing what can happen if the, if it's facilitated correctly. That's true. I think you probably like us each other more virtually than in person. You probably annoy each other in person. <laughs> that might be. Uh, who knows? We'll like, find why out. can't I mute you? <laughs> Stop. Stop. It's that's interesting. Actually, I didn't even think about that. It's true. We have built relationship virtually. It is possible. Derek and I, you know, text each other and call each other and have personal stuff the way friends do, right? Yeah. So I consider you a friend now, despite the fact you called Aww. me a brother from another mother at a different in a different podcast. I do remember that. So a lot of feedback on that. My, my take on this from Joe, and I appreciate it, Joe, we'll be sending you a shirt. We got to get your size, uh, a rethink shirt. Everybody who submits a question, we choose it. We'll, we'll send you a shirt just for fun. So you can walk around with a big rethink on your chest. I, this is interesting. In my financial advice, I did build a lot of relationship with people. I, f- I found that that was really satisfying to me as well. I felt like I was part of their journey. I felt like I was helping them. Mm-hmm. I was like that tour guide on a guided tour in a city or a country you've never been to and you build relationships and you become pen pals with these people that are on yeah. your bus tour. You know, like that. Do you remember like, if you ever been on one of those tours, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we got talked about family and my process, uh, if anybody knows about it with this was really driven by structural with asset map. We talked about the family the entire time. We didn't talk about products performance. We talked about why are we doing what we're doing? So exactly. I really think it, it depends on how you run the meeting you can get your connection out of it. By the way, all this technology doesn't stop you from being human. You still have to remember to do the human things, right? Maybe it's getting together with them physically, not talking about business if you have such a relationship with them. Have a have an event. Have a maybe you get everybody together at a golf or a sporting event or a wine tasting thing, and that's your physical connection. You save all the money on your infrastructure, put it into an unbelievable yeah. physical experience. Right. And that's how you actually get people together in a kind of camaraderie environment as opposed to sometimes it's simple things, Adam, like this, like I'm showing Adam my hat now. It's, it's, it's Adam's asset map hat that I have. And this is one physical, tangible thing that's connected back to Adam here. So it's little things like that. People thrive in these little things. It's true. Yeah. We can do these things. So uh, yeah, Joe, I know a lot of people are kind of expressing this to get to deal with the emotional outlook of this. It's important, by the way, nothing stops you from communicating with your clients that you feel like you miss them too. Like we don't have to stop being human just because it's a technology format for us communicating. We can express that and maybe there's solutions there. Maybe we can say, listen, we're going to get together once a year. We're not going to just see each other remotely. You don't have to decide that. What you do need to decide is what are you going to invest in infrastructure wise and decide what where you're going to position your business to satisfy the needs over the next five to 10 years. So that's something to think about. Any other thoughts before we wrap up here, Derek? No, man, we, this is longer than we normally go, but there's I a know. lot to unpack right. here. And I think it's, heck, you and I could probably go a lot longer. I yeah. still, I really want to dive down in your neurosis. <laughs> no, thank you. Great. <laughs> we'll Just mess up my kitchen. I will be sure to clean it. 
Ah, just clean dishes. I love it. Well, I'll try this up for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I agree with you. What's coming next? You've had a lot of questions that are coming to us. Please keep them up. So we're asking that you guys get involved uh, in sending us questions through LinkedIn or otherwise, or emails, or figure out how to do it. Send Pony Express or put a smoke signal up. Mm -hmm. Communicate with us and and expand this community so we can rethink all of this together. Please do that. Uh, In fact, offer your opinion as well on on any of these threads. Just start writing uh, and we'll refer to it. But I think one of the things that's coming up from Derek's and my conversations is this idea of access to advice. And there's this real question about trust and advice and how do we couple this and how do we, how do we get the right fit? I think between the advisor and the clients, we'll be exploring that podcast. There's no question. I've been told for years is the 80, 20 rule, use the 80, 20 rule or fire not ideal clients, or how does a client actually find us? We're going to be discussing different techniques for this. So please stay tuned. Definitely subscribe. And Derek, I look forward to rethinking the next topic with you. Yeah, likewise, my man, Adam, my brother from another mother. All right. See you, brother. Have (laughs) a good one. Thanks, everybody. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Rethink, the financial advisor podcast with Holt and Notman. Be sure to subscribe now and join the ongoing conversation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Asset Map or Connector. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.